illustrate situations where you are able to solve the problem. Because actually, in writing, you need to solve problems. If you're creating a content flow, you need to be able to solve problems. You need to be able to think on your feet. And if you can illustrate situations where you were able to solve a problem, then it's just like then you have somebody's attention. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. There are a few writers in the world that you can actually call them magicians. And the reason is that those writers can actually write a digital interface that makes people buy a car. So imagine a person that's not going to a car agency, but going to a website and eventually check out to buy a car. So few of those magicians exist. I know it sounds crazy, but there is people that actually create interfaces that people uh, that are so conversational and can create some like that big of an influence that the person will actually buy a car. So today I'm going to speak with one of those magicians. His name is Don Seidenberg and he works at a company called Carnext. So Carnext is a company that they take leased cars and then sell them online. They have also physical branches, so it's not only an online company. But today I'm going to speak with Don. He's the UX writer of their website. He was the first UX writer at Carnext and he told me all about his process. And we also talked about how can we write for different pain points that our readers and that our users are having. My name is Yuval. I'm the founder of UX Writing Hub. You're more than welcome to visit our website because we have there a newsletter, a blog, a job board, and also a course. So stay with me after the intro, have fun, and enjoy. Tell me, how did you get into UX writing? Well, I guess my first UX writing gig happened uh, about five years ago, before people were using the word UX writer. Right. And I was approached by a company called uh, Elsevier Science. They're a huge scientific publishers. And the first project I worked on them for was for a, a website called Science Direct. Mm-hmm. And Science Direct is the largest database of scientific articles in the world. And what they had asked me to do was simplify all the website copy that was on the site. Because it was a bit, five years ago, the way people wrote copy was a bit different. And it was getting a bit cluttered and the user experience needed to be improved. So basically what I did is I simplified website copy. I designed forms for them. I wrote the interface copy, menu structures, wherever there was words, Mm -hmm. I wrote them. And then they had asked me to write a style guide to define the style, to teach their project managers what they needed to write in certain areas. And we're talking about 2014-ish, right? Yeah, 2014, 2013, yeah. And nobody was even speaking about content style guides. No, no, they weren't. But (laughs) I, I had also recognized then that you needed to have like a conversation with the users and you needed to make things really clear and simple, which is what I, I basically tried to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I tried to make it conversational and as human as possible. That was my first experience. And then I had also done another project for Elsevier when they were launching a big data application to help 
universities and institutions improve their research productivity. And I was asked to design and write the online help. So this is a a huge big data application. Well, how do you use it? Mm -hmm. What I tried to do was instead of just saying, this is module A and this is how module A works, I tried to introduce a kind of scenario-based navigation so people can, um, so instead of say, I would I would have like a series of questions that all institutions would deal with, like, how do I hire um, a scientific researcher? Or how do I find the right scientific researcher in my field? You could find that out in (laughs) in about five seconds with this application. Or how do I illustrate to outsiders our excellence in research? Things like that. It's, what, it's the problems that people had, so it, it would make it easier for people to actually learn about this new data application. So they, basically there was kind of a database that helped people to uh, navigate through the platform and, and find their data, find, find the, yeah. their answers. Find the answers to their questions, yeah. So we have in our, uh, our listeners, few of them are copywriters, a few of mm-hmm. them are technical writers. A few of them yeah. are UX designers and UX writers. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a question I get a lot. And people will ask me, hey, well, what's the difference between a technical writer and a UX writer? And uh, I don't think there is one answer for that, but I would just love to answer your take on that. Well, actually, I think they're very close together. Mm-hmm. I agree, by the way. Because big things that we need to be educated about is more the difference between a copywriter and a UX writer. Because what I find a lot is people think, yeah, give me copy. I want to push some product, you know, and hey, this product is the best thing since sliced bread. And why don't you write that? We have a great product. And what a UX writer writes copy that's clear, concise, and useful, and helps guide a user through the customer journey, and wherever possible, removes friction from the customer journey. When you have friction, something's not going to happen. Somebody's feeling uneasy. Let, let me stop a second. I'm not sure about this. Let me call my brother-in-law. He knows better. Or you just close it because you're like, oh, I don't have any patience for that anymore. Yeah. So yeah. you close it and then you never go back to it. If you see like this monster form with 10 fields, you're like, I'm out. It's too much for me. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> What's interesting about technical writers is that technical writers have one focus and one focus only, and that is that the reader, the user, the customer understands how something works, and that's the whole thing they're focused on, and I think that's where they have a lot in common with UX writers. I feel it's like some kind of an evolution, maybe I would say, like the technical writers. Okay, let's go a little bit back. So we had guides to build or to use a TV 50 years ago, or guys to use something. So that was technical writing, how to use that product. Yeah, or so how to then, use software. Yeah, also. And then, and then how to use software, that, that was yeah. uh, about that. And then technical writers were writing these huge databases in, in their, for their product, like you did in uh, the scientist uh, research uh, database. Yeah. And then the next phase, five years after, I would say. Yeah. It's not only about uh, building that instructional database, but it's also 
guiding their users as they use the product. Yeah, and then understanding the context of every step in the content flow or in the website or in the app, and then providing the right information at the right time. I agree. And that's the difference between a UX writer and a copywriter, because a copywriter is not about the context. The copywriter is often employed by an advertising agency, and I think most advertising agencies are too focused on cool, and they're not really focused that much on user experience. And I think that's the big difference. It's just like you're shouting something out at somebody. And, you know, let's do this to get attention or let's do that to get attention. You just really need to be in close, understand your users and give them what they need. Right. But what I love about the similarities between copywriting and UX writing that I believe in is that in both cases, I see that those writers need to base their work on research. When you are a UX writer, you need to do research to understand who are your users. And also when you are a copywriter, even if you're writing an ad for a bus and you want people to relate to that ad, yeah. let's say, for example, you write an ad for a very specific uh, rock show, yeah. for example, Metallica is coming to town. Yeah. So you would like to write the ad that people that like Metallica would yeah. see it and relate. And in order to do that, if you're not a fan of Metallica yourself, you need to do your research. That's true. Yeah. You need to, to get into somebody's head and see what motivates them. Right. So research is, is uh, what I think. Yeah. Sometimes, interesting, uh, Yuval, is sometimes I kind of think that what I'm not actually doing is writing, but actually designing information or designing with words. Or content design, right? Yeah, exactly. There is a school or some kind of an agency in London, they call them uh, themselves uh, Content Design London. Uh, mm-hmm. It's operated by Sarah Richards. Mm-hmm. And uh, I bought her book. Really? What, what was the book about? Content design. Mm-hmm. But what's your main takeaway from that book? My main takeaway is just clear, good information. And yeah, as you say, it's all about designing content, designing words. So I would love to hear more. You're working uh, at a company called Carnext. Yeah. So for my research, Carnext is a company that if I would like to buy a second-hand car, but from the first buyer, I would go to Carnext and I will see very impressive cars over there. I, I've seen like, like Audi, Jaguar, but you had also Kia, many, many different cars. Yeah. And then you could uh, get them. Did I get it right? Then you, you can find the car you're looking for. Yes, you can find the car you're looking for and, and buy it. You can buy the car. In some markets, you can also rent the car. And in some markets, you can also finance your car. So tell me more about the the company and about um, your role. How did you get into Carnext company? Okay. Well, Carnext, it's in 22 countries, mostly in Europe. They're the largest pan-European digital platform for high-quality used cars. So currently, there's a big company called LeasePlan, which is actually the mother company of Carnext. Mm-hmm. And basically what we have in their international company, leasing company, leasing cars. So when those cars are finished their lease, they're sold or leased on the car next platform. And the idea is, is not just any cars. Every car has to go through a thorough inspection to make sure it's an excellent working order. 
And if it passes the inspection, it comes on the car next platform. Got it. Great. So we have a lease cars, and when they finish their lease, you offer them for secondhand buyers. So uh, most of the platform is online or you have also stores? Well, as a combination of the two. In every country, we're in 22 countries, in every country there are, it's a combination of online and stores, which we call delivery stores, which are kind of like showrooms. So it's possible to buy a car totally online without even seeing the car. I mean, you're just going to see the, the images without actually physically seeing the car. If you'd like, you can come visit, see the car. You can go to one of the showrooms and see what cars are available. You can see all the cars that are available online, and you can make an appointment to see one, or you can make an appointment to desk drive one. Or, you know, a lot of the stores are located near highways, so you can sometimes see the, from the highway, you can just drive in and take a look at the cars. It's very, very impressive when you go into the, uh, into the stores. They're really nicely designed. And it's like, if you had the feeling you wanted to buy a car after you're in the store, you think, wow, I really want to buy a car. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good customer experience in store as well as online. And uh, most of the people buy the, the cars uh, at the store or do you have a lot of conversions online? There are a lot of conversions online. Wow. I don't know about the particular statistics, but people are buying cars online. That's and, amazing. And there are some people who are buying cars without even test driving them. Really? What makes it interesting is that CarNext, they offer total transparency. Every car comes with a complete service and maintenance history. Mm -hmm. So you know everything there is about the car. So you get to make an informed decision. And every car comes with a 14-day money-back guarantee. After you've driven the car and you say, hey, no, you get your money back. But that's still pretty impressive. I just imagine, wow, like what an amazing digital user experience you have that people are saying, okay, I'm going to say goodbye right now to 15,000 euros. And I'm going to trust you in 100% because you are a trustworthy brand. And take my money and I just bought this car online. And this is impressive. If we're like looking 15 years back, it's even uh, unimaginable, right? You also have to think about it is that CarNext is disrupting the used car industry because the used car industry, not to be the most honest place in the world, and people don't feel good about it, you know, and people don't really know how to negotiate for a car, you know. Not everybody's good at negotiating. If you buy at CarNext, you, you have total transparency. You know exactly what you're buying. You get It's one price. It's a non-negotiable price, but it's a good price. And the cars are in excellent working order because they go through a, a technical inspection by an independent controller. You drive it, you don't like it. Within 14 days, you can get your money back. There's no, we're so confident that they're good that we can offer that. That's amazing. A few days ago or three months ago, even I've, I've read a case study by a guy that he is writing, a, he is writing chatbots for different brands. And the medium that he's using is the Facebook Messenger and is integrating it with an app called ManyChat or something like that. I wasn't familiar with it. But at the end of the day, the use case was that he was doing a chatbot for a Nissan, I mm -hmm. believe. And that chatbot alone sold the 11 cars. Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, like super impressive stuff. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm not sure about myself if I was buying a car. 
but maybe I will, I don't know. And I'm pretty amazed and blown away with the fact that, you know, chatbot, it's only communication, it's only text. So people that are writers writing an experience that's making people buy cars. If you're doing things like, you know, like a conversation with people, conversation kind of humanizes your brand and it's not, it works. What is your best practices for creating a conversation with your users of Carnext? It's basically what I create with all users. It's just getting to know who your users are and, um, and getting to know where they are in their customer journey. Who are they? What motivates them? So kind of a research understanding, who are your users? It's always helpful to have user research. So I would love to learn more about your uh, uh, user research best practices for the listeners that, you know, there is many listeners right now, writers, copywriters that want to uh, know, okay, I know how to write, but how do I write interface? And in many ways, I would say, okay, I need to learn how to do user research, for example. So which kind of user research best practices you think our listeners should know right now? Speak to your users. Do usability tests. Find out what motivates them. Find out if, if your product information is as clear as you think it is. And if it's not, then make it clearer. Be open to criticism. You Actually, you want people to criticize you. You want to, because when people criticize you, then you, you can create something even better than you thought you had before. Right. It's really important to put your ego aside and uh, listen to what people have to say. Yeah, that's very important. And that, I think, getting back to what we were talking about copywriters earlier, is sometimes I don't think that the ad agency copywriters really put their ego aside because it kind of gets in the way with all the cool stuff going on. Don, Don Norman wouldn't put his ego aside. <laughs> and you said, I love the fact that you said, speak to your users, talk with them. Yeah. Sometimes you go to the people in your office and says, hey, man, does it work or it doesn't work? Yeah. Sometimes you actually speak with your users. Yeah. Uh, so how do you do it? You send the messages or you, you, know, you just find your, one of your acquaintance, colleagues, and you're like asking them? Or Sometimes I try to find a person who would be in the target audience, maybe among friends, maybe among business contacts. It was funny because this weekend I asked a friend of mine to come over and critique. I'm going to be giving a talk in a few weeks on UX writing at a meetup in Amsterdam. I showed him one of the slides I was going to present. Before cars come out, we'll let you know what cars we're expecting to come out. And if you'd like, you can, we'll let you know when that car is ready for sale. Mm -hmm. Notify me. Yeah. And a friend of mine went through the process of doing that. And another thing is that we enable people to buy cars from different countries. So if you're in the Netherlands, you can buy a car from Germany. And then we'll handle the importation and everything. And uh, that's one of the newer products that we offer. We call it cross-border. So it was interesting because he, was, uh, he found this perfect car that he was interested in. And he looked at it and he said, and he got the notification. And then he thought, yeah, he wasn't sure. Because in this thing, you weren't able to actually drive the car before because it was in another country. So he shared some information about what he didn't have in the user experience, which will help me revise the user experience and make it better. And I think that was very helpful. Whenever you're speaking to a user, whenever you're doing user research, or it's always nice to have that. And it's always nice to have a transcript of their concerns because then you know the exact words they use. And then you can, you know their concerns and then you can 
in your copy, you can address their concerns. You know, sometimes finding those users is simpler than we think. It can be your best friend, like you said. I just spoke with the, in another episode with Carol from Latam uh, Airlines. She's uh, just going down the elevator, speaking with people, and then optimizing the flow of uh, checking a flight or uh, booking a flight. Booking.com, they have a collaboration with the, the local Starbucks. Yeah, oh yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and they buy a cup of coffee for one of the tourists, and then they take 15 minutes of his time or her time talking with him about how they can improve the copy or how they can improve the user experience of their product. And a lot of companies don't realize that it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be complicated. You just have to find the best way to reach that piece of data yeah. without wasting time and without wasting money. And in that case that you just gave, it's just like, yeah, a free cup of coffee. It's, it's worthwhile. You know, The more you speak to the users, the better you can serve them. Like another tip that I have from my experience, I worked uh, in SolarStream in the past. Like I like to call expertise uh, interviews, which is uh, speaking with people that have a lot of touch points with your users. Which means uh, when I worked for SolarStream, I went to the customer uh, support of SolarStream. I interviewed them and then they told me a lot of pain points that my users had. And it really helped me to optimize the user experience very fast. Pain points are, are a great start when you're writing any type of copy, any type of words, because then you, you know what you need to address. I agree. Okay, so I would love to know a little bit about the product team structure of Carnex. So you are a UX writer. How many writers are you in the... Me. What? You're the only writer. I'm the writer, yeah. Oh my God, you're probably a busy guy. I'm very busy. <laughs> when I'm at Carnex, I'm very busy. So how many designers you have in the team? We have four designers. Four designers. So this is a ratio of one to four. Mm -hmm. I heard about a ratio of one to 100. So mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. companies still don't realize that they need to hire more writers. You're right. So tell me a little bit about your process in the product team. So probably you have different projects or different products that you're working on. Yeah. That's, that's right. And you yeah. need to be kind of the bridge between all of the product teams because you're the only writer. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell me a little bit more about that. When I started, I was actually writing copy for the existing design. And then I thought, you know, there were a couple of things that I, I pointed out on a few certain designs. I said, you know what? If you start with the writing, the design might be better because otherwise... You're designing something and I'm filling in the blanks. And sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. And then we started working in parallel. Like we would both be working on the same thing at the same time and just touching base with each other to see how things are. And that worked. But we're continuing to evolve it. And we're actually in the process of evolving it now and to make sure that the work we're doing together me and the design team are more integrated with one another. And that's actually working out really well. And what's nice is that we're kind of open and free to discuss our concerns. We can be critical, but we, we're also kind to each other. Mm -hmm. And when we're, work, when we're sitting together sometimes, you can get a better result. I think that's crucial that the writers will be there from the first very beginning of the process. Yeah. 
And yeah. if you need to fill out black blank spaces, this is a recipe for disaster. And this is what happened in the industry today. So I think people need to be educated about that. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people really get what UX writers are. I agree. That's why we're here, by the way. Yes. You're collaborating with the designers. You make sure that you have better results. Tell me a little bit about the process. Like, what's the process of there? So, example of some kind of a use case that you have from Connext uh, of collaborating with designers that eventually created better user experience. Yeah, I have some other ideas I would like to share with, with maybe the users about inspiration. I always find that there are things to learn from the non-digital world, like Schiphol Airport. Have you ever been to Schiphol Airport? So I've been there once. You've been there once, okay. Well, one of my inspirations are the firm that does the design of the signage, the wayfinding. And because what they're good at is actually because a lot of what their work is is the same as our work. I mean, our work, I mean, they're in the traffic business. They have to design a way for people to understand where they're going in the airport, but yeah. at the same yeah. time, make it aesthetic and easy and simple. And they're dealing with traffic. They got to get people from one place to another and take the stress away from the traveler. And in fact, that's what we're also doing. We're, we're in the traffic business. We're getting people in and we're getting people out. And we're, we try to reach a desired result. And one of the things they do in the wayfinding process is they walk every step that the customer walks. So if you drive your car to Schiphol Airport, the wayfinding person would, from the point of you getting out of the car, they will walk the entire customer journey all the way to boarding the plane. And then they would think, what information do I need to provide at the right time in the right place? That's amazing. And in a way, that's actually what we're doing. And it reduces stress. It makes people feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And it sets a tone for a good experience. It just works. That's what user research is all about. It's literally walking in your user's shoes. And that's what they did. Yeah. And that's actually what they did. <laughs> that's cool. And where, where did you re- read about it? Well, actually, I wrote a blog post about them like six or seven years ago, and I actually spoke to the people there. So I I love it, like uh, real-world examples of how people get information in the real world and then try to somehow implement it in the design. And this is really interesting because uh, also in UX design, people say it all the time, and you have the book uh, by Don Norman, Design of Everyday Life, from 2004, and he speaks also about that topic, about how if we want to sample colors, we should look on the real colors we have in the world, or if we uh, yeah. we need to see like how the handle of a cup is designed for us to hold it so it wouldn't spill and uh, and then like think about the mindset of the usability of the real world design and then try to implement it in the digital world. That's an amazing tip. Yeah. Another thing that inspires me is the children's writer, illustrator, Dutch children's illustrator called um, Dick Bruner. Mm-hmm. And his books, the English title for the book, name of the, his character is called Miffy. And what's interesting about him, there's a simplicity to his drawings. And what's always interesting is his drawings are very simple and very accessible and it's just a few lines on a paper, but it's powerful. And, and the text that goes with the story is extremely engaging. And that's also what we're doing. We're kind of engaged. We need to engage people 
And we need to use simplicity wherever possible. And simplicity is actually, it's hard to, to create something that's really simple. So Dick Bruner has inspired me. And, and his books are, are, I think, have been translated into like 50 languages. I agree. Simplicity is the key. And the hardest part of design is to just make it to go for a journey in which there is many, many complications. And then you need to take them step by step until it's simple enough. And that's quite of a journey, you know? Yeah. Cool. So uh, thank you for that. And before we wrapping up, one last, last, last question. As I said, we have listeners that want to get into UX writing. They want to work in a product team like you, and they want to know how they should get into UX writing. Is there like a, maybe some kind of a tip? Or let's say that right now your team is hiring because of the first writer of the company you are going to be the person that is hiring. So what are you personally going to look for when hiring a UX writer? If somebody has writing abilities, if somebody can empathize with the customer, and if somebody can communicate clearly. How they should present it to you. In a, I know the ideal situation is to have a portfolio website, a cover letter, and all of those. But a lot of times, writers, like in my UX writing course, I have three students, they don't have and any experience with creating websites and stuff like that. So their portfolio right now is just a PDF document with examples and their CV. Do you think it's enough or you would expect to see a... Well, I mean, if you don't actually have a job, why don't you just look at a current website that you think is not good or a current form or a current sign-up sheet or a current password Look for something that you think is not good and show how you would improve it. Would you appreciate if they would do it for car next or you would be like, whoa, 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 don't get into my zone? I think if somebody could show how something's being done better, that's always welcome. I mean, you need to be focusing on creating the best result for the customer. And if somebody else comes up with an idea, that's great. Then, then you should use that. I agree. This is also my agenda. Just there is people in the industry from different companies, but actually it's only for one, from one company. But uh, they disagree with this agenda, but I agree in 250%. I think if you are stepping inside of a company doorstep and you're solving their problems for the, from day one, you have a seat at the table. You deserve a seat at the table. Yeah, or just illustrate situations where you are able to solve the problem. Because actually, in writing, you need to solve problems. If you're creating a content flow, you need to be able to solve problems. You need to be able to think on your feet. And if you can illustrate situations where you were able to solve a problem, then it's just like then you have somebody's attention. If we're speaking about the technical abilities, should they know to work with design tools? Or should they not work with the flow, like uh, flow illustration tools? What would you expect? They don't really need to work with design tools, but they would need to kind of illustrate that they understand where copy fits in in the design process and that they have a knowledge of like, like what a customer flow is because you can't actually design, write one piece of information unless you know where the person was before and where they're going to next. So if they have a kind of understanding about that. Thank you for... An amazing talk. I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot as well. Before we finish, is there people would like to talk with you or find you? Is there a way which is ideal to find you? Maybe LinkedIn, Twitter? LinkedIn, or they can just uh, look at my website, claritymatters.nl, or just send me a note on LinkedIn. Yes, this is how I reached you and uh, now we're here. So it works, guys. Thank you very much for being here. My pleasure. 
All right, so I hope you enjoyed the ride. That was Writers in Tech podcast. Please, please, please share this episode with the world. And if you can, head an hashtag, come on Elon, because I want to interview Elon Musk and talk with him about being writer in tech and about the future of UX writing. Do you know that movie, uh, Her, when you have an operating system that is conversational and that the user, like the hero of that movie, uh, fall in love with that operating system? I guess that someone had to write down that interface. So I wonder who are going to be the people that are going to write that kind of interfaces that will create tone and voice and character for the voice interfaces that we're going to interact with. And I think that Elon must have some great answers and insights about that topic. So share this episode with the world, tag Elon Musk, and till then, see you next time. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again, and that's all for this week.